I'm Tony Epstein, and this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WTDR. In the beginning, the end. It's a story, but that's why I'm here, to tell you stories. So where to start? When you're in the middle of a story, it isn't a story at all, but only a confusion, a dark roaring, a blindness a wreckage of shattered glass and splintered wood, like a house in a whirlwind or or else a boat crushed by the icebergs or swept over the rapids, and all aboard are powerless to stop it. It's only afterwards that it becomes anything like a story at all, when you're telling it to yourself or to someone else. First of all, I love the name of your podcast. I think it's fantastic. Um, you know, magic is one of my favorite things. I once did a thing with a business coach, and they help you identify your values. And one of my four values was magic, needing to see and create and be a part of magic in the world. That's wonderful. We're in alignment there. I've always <laughs> felt that way from early in my childhood. I had this sense that never went away, that literally anything is possible. And I was always stumbling upon these magical aspects of the world that just kept reaffirming that for me. Mm, That's great. So my guest is Lee Harris. He's an intuitive medium, and he's the author of Energy Speaks, Messages from Spirit on Living, Loving, and Awakening, based on his channeling of a group he calls the Z's. So first off, I just want to say that I've really been enjoying this book, and I've gotten so much out of it. Oh, thank you. Well, that's fantastic. And thank you for having me on, Tonio. I'm really happy to be here. I'm really excited about this and very curious to see where we go with this. Um, I've just been finishing up Corinne Grillo's The Angel Experiment and her 21-day angel invocation thing. I'm I'm on day 20 today, so I have one more day to finish that. So these two books together have really been having a wonderful impact on me. 
Oh, fantastic. Yeah, Corinne is great. I, I had the pleasure of seeing an advanced copy of that book. And she and I have been connected through work for a few years now. So that's great. So getting into channeling, I would love to hear about how channeling happens for you and what or who you are channeling and why you chose the title Energy Speaks. Yeah, so the title came to me many years ago um, because I feel like that is a truth of our life that I was very directly exposed to that I now see is true every single day. You know, our energy is speaking. So, for example, somebody walks into a room and, you know, most of us, and I believe we're all intuitive and empathic to some degree, there are definitely some who have the gift of intuition and empathy to a very high degree. But I think everybody has some level of intuition and empathy. And You know, when someone walks into a room and you ask them how they are and they say, oh, I'm fine, but you know they're not fine because their energy is speaking. So even if their words said one thing, you can tell from the energy they exude when they walk into that room how they're feeling. Or even, you know, a very exuberant person comes into the room, a very jolly, bubbly person their energy walks into the room first. And so, to me, the Energy Speaks title was very all-encompassing. I've had an experience now for 20 years where beings of energy, who I call disease, um, they speak to me and through me, and I translate what I hear to the people who receive those messages. But equally, um, I believe that we as human beings are also deeply connected to that force, that universal energy. So Energy Speaks to me felt like it was the, uh, the perfect title for this group. And you asked me how the channeling happens for me. If I just explain it physically first, I hear them literally to the left. So kind of if you go above the left of your head, about 12 inches, um, that is the position that I hear disease from. And it's always been that way. So it's a little like a voice 12 inches above your head on the left. And I first heard them on the underground train, the uh, tube train in London, when I was a not very happy 23-year-old on his way to work. Um, And that was where they first made their formal introduction to me. And I was told that when I asked, do you have a name? They said, well, we don't have names, but we know that human beings need names. So you can call me Zachary, and I'm the lead spokesperson. And because over the following years, I met other members of the group who also had names beginning with Z, um, it was actually people who listened to my work and read my work who started to refer to them as disease. So that's why they're called disease. So you hear them a little to the left and above your head. When you're channeling, are you channeling what they are saying or are you channeling some other form of communication from them? No, how it starts for me is if I'm speaking to them, if I'm speaking to them personally for my own life, it's like having a conversation. It's it's no different to you, Tonio. It's like I will ask something or say something, and then you will respond in words, and that's how I experience them. When I channel for a group or publicly, the way the process works is I close my eyes. I normally take about 30 seconds or so to just kind of get settled and switch my consciousness a little bit, and... I normally repeat the first two sentences that I hear from them. Like, they will give me the first sentence, and it might be, 
welcome, we are happy to be here, or tonight we are going to talk about self-love. I hear that before I say it, and if I then repeat the first sentence or two that I hear, after that I no longer see the words first. Then there is like a stream of words that can come through me. So it's a little bit like being in a trance, but I'm not in a trance. I feel my experience is I sit behind my head and I can kind of hear everything that's going on and I could stop it at any time. So it's not completely unconscious for me. But after those first two sentences, I no longer know what's about to come out of my mouth before it comes through my mouth because they're sending a stream of words through me, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And while that's happening, are you clearly aware of what is coming through you? I am, but I also forget. So it's interesting. I'll come away, you know, I've just got back from Costa Rica uh, where we were doing our annual soul magic retreat. And at that retreat, we normally have three or four channels and sound healing sessions in the evenings. And they go for about 60, 70 minutes. Everyone lies down. They have a blanket over them. So it's a bit like a channeling slumber party. (laughs) And... um, Basically, I'm always blown away when people remind me of what they heard the next day, because I'll only normally come away with like three or four key headlines that I can kind of remember. But also for me, it's very experiential. So I'll give you an example. I work as an energy intuitive, and I know what it's like when I am in energy intuitive mode. And people often say, well, what's the difference? You're still channeling. And I'm like, "Mm, yes, it is still channeling, but as an energy intuitive, For example, if I were talking to you now as an intuitive, Tonio, I would start to feel, see, hear, and sense things about you if I turn that part of me on and focus on you. And I would give them to you as myself right now. That's me in energy intuitive mode. But when I channel disease, something very different happens. Um, It's like going 12 floors higher in terms of the kind of perception of the world, the universe, humanity. So... To allow that into your body as a channeler, you definitely feel afterwards, it's a little bit like getting a kind of, to some degree, a Reiki session or something like that. It's not quite as mm, receiving because you definitely can be tired afterwards. It's not like, you know, a Reiki session that you, you always feel just completely energized by it because it also takes quite a bit of energy to do it for an hour. But it's frequency shift and you feel very different because you've interacted with a much higher frequency than the one that we have on the earth and the density that we exist in. So cumulatively, the longer you channel and the more you do it, my experience, and I've I've had this conversation with many other channelers and people who do this kind of work, it just changes you and you start to become that vibration more. You will never be that vibration because they're not in the body. So they're having a very different experience of of, of what we're having. But it does kind of lighten up the density in you over time. Although I make that sound a bit too fairy tale. Um, It can be really intense at times too. Like there are usually periods in a channeler's journey or an intuitive's journey or a psychic's journey where you, you go through a few kind of initiations, a few like dark nights of the soul where your own identity gets wrestled with and wrangled with. I'm happy to say for me, because I've been doing it for 20 years, Um, You know, the last time I went through one of those was about 10 years ago, and that was the big one for me. So, yeah, the frequency is what I would say is the thing that I notice the most. It doesn't, you you don't feel the same. 
and your body feels very different afterwards. That's fascinating what you you just said about going through a a kind of identity crisis, like a a sort of dark night of the soul. Um, I I do understand that over time you gradually, and for for your own well-being, you, you have to align or be able to align your energy with those that you're channeling to make it more comfortable for you. Yeah, and it's, it, you know, like with hot air balloons, they throw out the sandbags so they can go higher. Uh-huh. I always think that's the same process we go through with ascension. So when you start to channel and start to access your higher self and higher frequencies, there can be a bit of a pendulum swing. You know, you experience this higher state and then you return to the body and you have to throw out all the sandbags that are no longer required for where you're going next. They may have been perfect up until now, but perhaps your fear is going to become a little less tightly gripped around you because you've brought more love in or you've brought more higher consciousness in. So we cast these sandbags off over time as we go through all these lessons. And, you know, I'm perhaps focusing this right now specifically on the journey I experienced as a channeler, but I actually would argue that this is the journey we're all on as human beings right now especially as consciousness is increasing on the planet and the energy of the planet is changing so fast and the energy of humanity is changing so fast that really, I guess, what I'm describing is the ascension journey for everybody and that when you start to wake up again, you start to not just believe but experience life a different way because it's one thing for someone to tell you about a psychic experience it's highly unlikely any of us will ever believe that until something happens to us that we can actually qualify and say, oh, well, this happened to me and it changed my world. It's why I always say to people when they're like, well, I'm a bit skeptical. I'm like, yeah, trust me, <laughs> so was I. And I still, I still believe that skepticism should not be ignored because we have to be logical. And I've met many intuitive and psychics who have kind of lost their way because they can't be on the ground or they can't figure out how to be on the ground and you know I'm a tourist so I'm I'm very earth so even though I have this kind of cosmic relationship with my guides and have been a bit of a bridge between worlds for others I'm also living that every day myself I I feel like I walk between two worlds which is the very human world and the world of spirit and soul and that's my role and my job on the planet, just as we all have our role and our, our, our position. But I, I actually think that logic, skepticism, and being a scientist, meaning doing experiments to check the validity of things for yourself, is so important because there are no rules when it comes to intuition. We're all having a very unique experience around our own intuitive abilities. So therefore, it's really important to see yourself as the experiment that you can trust more than how another teacher or how another rule tells you it should be. Um, It's really important. I have such great appreciation for that. I've been, in my own way, in my life, I've, in many ways, I've been doing much the same thing, trying to ground all the things that I've been learning and encountering and also you know, sifting out the chaff from the wheat, so to speak, so that I'm not getting unnecessarily deluded by things that... And it's it's quite challenging 
to discern what is real and what isn't real. And, and the whole notion of what is real and what isn't real is, is quite a quandary to begin with, especially nowadays. Um, so it can be very complicated. And it's a very personal and subjective experience. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, you know, I'm 43 now, and I'm really grateful to be able to say at 43 that I'm probably more in my own personal power than I've ever been in my life. And the reason I'm grateful to say that is that was so not the case for a long time. Like, I was willing to give my power away to people, to things, to beliefs, to... You know, kind of that thing where you're like, oh, wow, they're very powerful. So even though it doesn't quite feel right in my body, I'm going to trust them. Yeah, I just, it took me a long time to really, and I think, I guess we all learn these lessons in life because really learning, learning a lesson is the only way, again, we believe it or understand it. Um, But I think what I have noticed, and I look back on myself in my early 20s, and when I was doing all of these self-growth workshops and reading lots of books and kind of, you know, exposing myself for the first time in a deep way to metaphysics, is there is a syndrome at work that we all seem to be infected by where we will doubt our own personal ability to discern what's right for us, especially when it comes to things like spirituality and intuition. And I've thought about this a lot because it's why you see people giving their power away to gurus and teachers and having bad experiences with perhaps a very spiritually powerful teacher, but also a teacher whose wounded human ego is unfortunately infecting their work and thus infecting the people who are following their work. And of course, there are no, there are no accidents. You know, anybody who gets themselves embroiled in that kind of stuff they're meant to be there, just like I look back on some of my unhealthy dynamics in relationships that I was in in the past, and I know I was meant to go through that. So there's no regret. But I think it comes down to, certainly for me, I was born in 76. In our Western culture, unless it was through the lens of religion, I think so few of us were really taught to live a spiritual life or taught that spirituality was a thing. And I think the success of movies like Star Wars in the late 70s and the early 80s was partly because the force and, you know, through storytelling, we learned so much and we recognized truth. Um, Sure, Star Wars was brilliant storytelling and revolutionary technology at the time. But really, the main core of that movie is the force and this idea that there is an invisible force that we're all connected to that is more powerful than any human agenda that we can all connect with each other through. And I think when I look back now at the way that I would give my power away to certain teachers, certain books, I think it's that thing that most of us have been infected by, which is that we're not enough. We're not good enough. We don't know enough. And I think it takes time to grapple with those lessons and to recognize that, sure, you might have someone in your midst who's a great spiritual teacher for you, or maybe they have more spiritual knowledge than you've ever met. But that doesn't mean that you absolutely rely on them for everything. You know, you still have to run everything they say through a filter. And if you're still hailing somebody else as more important than you as a spiritual force on the planet, then you haven't really graduated yet. 
and that's okay. It's okay. All of us go through school and university and all of those things. But I do think there is a great disservice has been done to us in Western culture. You don't see it so much in certain parts of the world or tribes where our spiritual truth was erased from our education and it was formalized through religion. And religion also was not often empowering people to be love. Instead, love was kind of organized for them, and they were told what position of power they were in and what position of power God or Jesus was in. So I think it's a very interesting time that we're in right now where more people than ever are popping awake, looking for more teachers, and I'm also heartened to see that we're losing some of that hierarchy in society at large that we've all grown up in. You know, you look at the Me Too movement and what's going on with patriarchal abuse. So I know I've kind of gone down the rabbit hole and <laughs> gone in a few different directions here, but I guess what you said really, I felt called to just verbalize that aspect that we've all grown up through, which is we weren't taught to trust ourselves. And I think that's one of the things that I see the younger generation now, especially those who are being well-guided, they're coming in a little more hardwired to trust themselves and to be a little less knotted up in toxic or undermining dynamics than perhaps those of us who were taught to behave and taught to do it the right way and taught to conform. Perhaps they're having a different experience than those of us who went through that kind of training in our life. I'm really grateful that you did go down that rabbit hole. I think that's a really important thing. Um, I have gone through much of the same in my life, only it, it took me even longer. I'm 61, and it wasn't until fairly recently that I have felt a more integrated sense of my own sense of personal power and my own sense of individuation within mm -hmm. our culture. And what you say about spiritual individuation is so important because I think spiritually our Western culture is very, very young, and we have handed over all of our power to the religious representatives, like the priests, who have sort of inserted themselves as intermediaries between us and, and the divine, and who we truly are ourselves. Yes, so true. So this whole thing about bringing the perspective of energy into a culture that has been so thoroughly indoctrinated into things and matter. Yeah. You spoke earlier about how the Zs have come through you with a message or with messages relating to what we're going through at this time. And I would love for you to talk about what, what we are going through in our world and why the Zs have come forward speaking through you and what their message is in relation to what's happening in our world and and we'll just we'll just keep going with that as as it unfolds. Sure. I guess I'll just first address why the Zs have come through me. I think, you know, the way I understand it is we live on the hundredth monkey syndrome as a planet, meaning you show one monkey in the group how to do something or one monkey learns how to do something and it won't take long before the whole tribe have learned how to do it. And I feel like channeling 
certainly if you look at channeling in the last decade or two, it has started to move out of the kind of freaky-deaky, only-for-the-weirdos, exclusive kind of fringe zone into more people using the energy and the information that they have experienced through channeling, whether it's Esther Hicks and Abraham, who I would say, certainly from my perspective, really led the way in terms of taking channeling to a more mainstream level. So I think why I and probably lots of other people have used channeling more publicly is because it's time for people to recognize their own ability to connect beyond themselves. Whether they end up channeling their guides or not, publicly or privately, is, is another matter. But one of the things I do teach people is I say, you know, this isn't a party trick. This is something that you can use in your daily life. You can sit down and write a message for yourself. And at the, right, the top of the page is, what does my soul want to tell me today? Question mark. And then write the sentences that follow. And people always look at me when I do this. If they're the people in the workshop who've never done this before, they look kind of gobsmacked and a little bit horrified. And, and then five minutes later, when they've written something, people are often in tears. Or Because what I explain is you don't necessarily have to be channeling your guides or a guardian angel. or You can speak to your higher self and you can speak to your soul. And that's enough. For some people, that's all they're going to need. So I would say that the reason that, you know, I and many others do what I do is because I think we're at a time where it's becoming a little more normalized. And I don't think channeling is the most important thing in the world, but I do think that us being able to connect more to ourselves, to each other, and to recognize that we're part of something far bigger than our human life may look or seem. I think that's why channeling, like many other practices that are good for the soul, are rising up in society so that people have more to choose from. Um, in terms of the Z's and me, they've always said that I can stop publicly channeling anytime I want to, and that I will never lose my relationship with them. And there were some times I did think about stopping over the last six, seven years, and not for a few years, but there was a time when I decided I didn't necessarily want to have to deal with the public reaction to channeling that could sometimes be a bit more, um, what is this? I don't quite get it. Because I thought, you know, I could really just work in the self-growth field and remove the channeling and have an effect on people without ever doing that. But then I realized that, that would have cut out something that actually is quite magical and quite frequency shifting. And so that's kind of how I see my relationship with disease. So that was part one of your question. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Lee Harris. He's an intuitive medium and the author of Energy Speaks, Messages from Spirit on Living, Loving, and Awakening. And this is the Magical Mystery Tour. Part two is, what do they say is going on on our planet? Well, they've said for a very long time, way back since the early 2000s, they said everybody is focused on 2012 um, in the spiritual community, but that actually 2012 is just the beginning. And that the transformation that will take place beyond 2012 will literally blow our minds in so many ways. And interestingly, once we got past 2012, they were saying, you know, you're going to see things ramp up between 2016 and 2020, and then go into overdrive between 2020 and 2024 they said people are going to get much more emotional. And this message came like in 2008, 2009, when they were also telling me things like, 
healing is going to enter the mainstream. You know, and, and honestly, I know it may seem hard to believe now, but 10 or 11 years ago, the idea that healing was going to enter the mainstream just seemed a little bit crazy because that wasn't our experience, those of us who were in that field. You know, we were still very fringy, um, very small number of people were not afraid of the idea of healing. And these days, more and more people, because of how fast things are changing and people need help, support, and tools with what's happening to them, healing is becoming something that people are beginning to pay attention to and recognize as a very important part of being alive and having well-being on this planet. So they said about people will become more emotional, and I think I wrongly interpreted that back then, thinking people would be... (laughs) full of emotional well-being. And of course, actually what's happening is people's emotions are rising to the surface as they can no longer fit their outlook on life, how they used to feel about life, into our current reality. Because everything that we used to rely on as normal or that held us in place as a society is tremoring like an earthquake. And some of those things are going to find a new stability. Some of those systems are going to find more evolved ways of doing things. And some of those systems are going to completely go away or crumble or die. So what we see happening on a planetary level ecologically and how rapidly our planet and the life on our planet is changing is also a wake-up call. So some of the advances that we have made through the industrial and the technological revolution have cost the planet in a big way. So we're at this tipping point where the guides have said it is going to be the impacts on humanity that are going to cause humanity to change. And it's going to cause a consciousness revolution on the Earth, which I would say you can already see that we're in because more and more people are unhappy with the status quo, are unhappy with how certain leaders want to play the game. They can see that there are really insane decisions being made for the well-being and the health of the planet and the people. So at the moment, it's a very uncomfortable time that we're in, and it's going to get even more intense in in the coming few years. But what the guides have said is they say without that intensity, there won't be the change that you want. And it's only when people have a problem right in front of their face that they're willing to make the changes and the moves necessary. So I liken it to, you know, what happened with Donald Trump becoming the president of the United States. It actually created a movement that I don't think the Me Too movement or several other major movements that we've seen socially in the last few years would have happened if he hadn't been inserted as president. And the day he got in as president, I was personally kind of devastated um, because I have no problem with him being on a reality TV show. But there was no way I thought that somebody with this character and this lack of compassion should be put in such a position. And I'm not somebody who overly follows politics or, you know, I kind of see politics as part of the whole thing here. But at the same time, I do have to also recognize that In a way, he is a symbol of the times that we're in. And so what the guides say is that innovation is coming. We tend to look at things with a very fear-based viewpoint because we are encouraged to do so by our media and by the way that things are reported to us. Because the more we're in fear, the less proactive we'll be about what we would like to see changed and the more we will comply. 
and they say that the time of compliance is really over and that there are a small number of people who have agendas for the planet that's very unhealthy, but that even they are struggling to, shall we say, push their agendas through in these coming years because they themselves are experiencing interference from people who, shall we say, are there to diffuse their agenda that we may never see or know. And likewise, the same is true for those of us who are here on the planet. Those of us who are called to do what is sometimes referred to as being a light worker, they say we're going to feel more purposeful than we've ever felt in the coming few decades because we're going to be needed and this will be the time that we're needed. But that our job will be to help usher anybody who's going through a very fast awakening or transition, which, as we know, can be very intense and can be a shock to your identity, to help them traverse this because so many of them are then going to be innovators and leaders for what we need next. So they always remind me and those who listen to the messages that we're all a jigsaw piece in a very big jigsaw and that if we all play our part and play our piece, then we continue to move the planet forward in terms of consciousness while also still acknowledging that we've got some serious issues that we're facing. So they say, you know, even with all of the fear-mongering about where the planet's at, they say, you mustn't forget that you knew exactly what was going to happen when you incarnated here. You knew exactly the state of the planet you were coming to, and that's actually why you jumped on board. So they always say, if you're here, and you feel like you're on the wrong planet or in the wrong place or don't want to be here, which I definitely can hold my hand up and say I've had I've had periods like that in my last 20 years. I mean, not for quite a few years now, but I remember those phases. They say, get curious about why you're here, because it's very easy to die. And they say that we have hundreds of what they call exit points all throughout our life where we can make the choice to die. So they said, if you're still on the planet and you feel like it's a mistake that you're on the planet, they said, it isn't a mistake. You're here for a reason, and you need to review your life and make some changes so that you can start to feel your reason in your everyday life if you currently are feeling like you are divorced from being connected to your life or this planet. So that's a kind of brief overview, Tonio, of kind of some of the things that they refer to about this time. That's what I was hoping to focus a lot of our time on. I remember when Trump was elected there were a number of us that were looking at it as being what you described as the necessary catalyst for society and for humanity as a whole to start to really wake up to the issues that we are facing right now and that chances are Trump is actually a wonderful blessing in that way and that without him we would just go back to sleep or remain asleep and that there's a kind of grounding of our, our sense of power, of being able to ground ourselves in the midst of what, what seems like chaos. It's interesting because I heard many people talk about that, and it does bring up, I don't know, all kinds of debates among people, but what you just said about grounding ourselves in chaos is absolutely what the Zs constantly refer to. And I will, I will say that, you know, for me personally, by really focusing on that 
in these last few years and inviting that to be part of my daily life, the kind of the life experiences I have been having are more connected and alive than ever before, even with people around me that I might be supporting who are going through really tough times or my own challenges that come up, you know, every now and then. So there is a great truth to where we position our consciousness right now being a choice. And I say that not in any judgmental way, because, you know, some people who are being hard on themselves would hear that and go, oh, great, well, then it's my fault. No, no, that's not what we're saying. It's more that you can make a choice around where you position your consciousness. But your life and how you've designed your life and what you are identifying your life needs for you to be able to live more consciously, that's going to take some work and some willing. And, um, you know, you may be recognizing, oh, well, I realize I don't exercise very often or I eat a lot of bad food all the time. Okay, well, that's not going to help your mood. That's just science. So, you know, it might be finding ways to support yourself in that area and exercising a bit more or not eating as many of the kind of junk foods that are going to drop your mood and imbalance your body. It might be that you recognize you've got lots of toxic relationships around you or that all of the people in your life are always needing from you and you don't really feel like you have anyone to go to. So then you also have to get a little bit scientific about that and go, okay, well, this has to change because that can't help me. So I think that's the work that we're all undergoing right now. It's how can you position yourself to be the most useful, most conscious person that you are supposed to be at this time in your life and this stage of your development. What do you need to do that? And to trust that if you actually put a little bit of attention in that direction, you will be so much more effective, not just in your own life, but for others too. And that's a really important message and lesson for the time that we're in. Well, one of the things I was wanting to ask you, and I think you have at least somewhat addressed it, is the relationship between the things that are happening in the outer world and what's going on inside of us, particularly things that, that are still left unresolved inside of us. Yeah, the thing that's going on right now is this time that we're in, because it is what some refer to as a quickening. So in your life today, you might go through some new pop of awareness or a challenging relationship at eight times the speed that you would have processed it a decade ago. So, you know, what may have taken you six weeks to get through a decade ago is now happening in six hours or six days. And what that does is it really puts us all into a very quick healing and release state. And that can be tricky if you've got a lot to clear or you're a little new to this whole idea of, shall we say, throwing the sandbags out from the side of the hot air balloon in your own psyche. But actually, the more you get used to it, the better you feel because you start to surrender to the changes in yourself, which also helps you not feel as triggered by the changes outside us. So I think that's what's going on for a lot of people. People are dividing into different groups right now. There are those who look at the outside world and all the changes, and all they do is recoil in terror or horror or can't quite believe it. The messages will believe it because it's not going to stop. It's actually, if anything, it's going to get a little bit faster in the next five to ten years. So... 
if that's your response, then it's time for you to also make some inner changes and be willing to let yourself change your perspective as the outer world is changing and what you used to see as normal is no longer normal or is no longer in existence. So that kind of ferocious speed that is happening to all of us, the good news is it means that we can heal things faster if we surrender to it and we can hit higher frequencies in ourselves more often, more regularly. But you have to be willing to not separate yourself from the outside world because everything that's going on outside us is having a direct effect on our inside world. And for all of us, it's allowing us to bring a bit more self-love to our life, a bit more self-awareness for sure, which can be a shock at first. And essentially, we're all being asked to upgrade who we are and how we live in the world. Yeah, there's so much in here to talk about the way you described how the Zs are saying that this is going to continue on for another few years makes me think that we may be in for another four years of Donald Trump or perhaps what could be characterized as something worse. Um, I know that despite my perspective at the beginning after he was elected that this was actually a very positive thing overall. Mm. There are so many times when, when I'm listening to the news and I just get so outraged that these things can be allowed to happen in our world. And sometimes it just feels intolerable. And it's so easy to get caught up in, in fear and outrage and forget the bigger picture. Yes, it's tricky because what the Z's would say is that your outrage is really important. So where we focus our attention on any given day is where our learning is. Because I totally get what you're saying. But they would say, great, feel outraged. Feel as outraged as you want. Get it out your system. Let him be the catalyst for your outrage. But I must say, you know, when you just said that perhaps them talking about the coming years getting faster and, and a little more crazy... It makes you think that Trump is going to get in. The one thing I will say about that is, and this goes without saying, but I think it's important we say it, what's happening on our planet is so much bigger than Trump or Brexit. And what I understand from what they say is we're just about to walk into a point where that becomes evident, as if it wasn't already evident for so many of us. I think many people have recognized that the political system is one that is not serving humanity or the planet in the way that it could and should be. I love seeing more people going in there with brand new consciousness and people standing for that. And whether they get elected or not, the fact that they're walking towards that to try and enlighten the system from the inside is wonderful. And that needs to be done. But I think that part of what's going on for us is the earth changes. And in a way, some of the ecological changes that we're seeing, the environmental shift, they're really important because at the moment, so much of the power that we have all learned to give in our world to the political governmental system, I think there's so many things about governmental systems that are so required and, and can be seen as very healthy in terms of the system potential. But that's not what we're seeing right now. And it's almost like so much has been co-opted for darker agendas and more inhumane agendas. And so it's almost like 
more people are waking up to being outraged by the fact that the system that we're in is not good for any of us, ultimately, if it doesn't change. So as the Earth changes continue, suddenly things get a lot more real. For example, if tomorrow a bunch of alien ships landed all over the world or we lost 2 billion of the population through overnight natural disasters, people are not going to be quite so compliant as they were. And it's not that I'm implying that compliance is the biggest problem or that we need like a on-the-streets revolution. What I'm more saying is the insanity of or the illusion of control that some of our systems give us that's what's being stripped away at the moment. So it's a very painful, rude awakening. It's like finding out that your parents actually have been doing really bad things and you're finding that out, you know? It's kind of what's going on with world systems. It's kind of a, a loss of innocence in a way at an all-new level. And again, we do need certain systems as a culture, but the ones that we've got right now are really dying a very painful death. And the way things are changing on the planet, that is going to become more crystal clear than ever before in the next five to ten years. And so the prominence of people like a Donald Trump figure are going to become a lot less important to people than they used to be. It kind of goes back to what you were saying with the priests and religion. It's like go back in time and everyone was a bit more under the spell of that system the spell is breaking on the planet. And that consciousness revolution that the Zs talk about, they say it's not that every system has to go away and you mustn't think like that. But they said the systems have to be re-energized. They have to be approached from a more holistic standpoint for the good of every being on the earth, not just the humans. And that's kind of what we're walking into in this next decade, a much more of a reckoning around all of those topics and the way that we live our lives. So it's, it's painful for all of us. You know, I don't think any of us are getting out of this without some discomfort or horror at what we're seeing or shock at things that we've been doing that we suddenly realize, oh, my God, I've been doing this thing for 30 years and now I'm realizing how harmful it is for the planet and I need to change. So it's, it's a real identity shift for everybody, the personal, the collective, the systems. No one's getting out of it unscathed. One of my biggest concerns these days is that there's still a large percentage of the population that seem to be very content where they're currently entrenching themselves, you know, behind certain personalities and certain ideologies and and a certain attitude towards what's happening in the world, a, a combination of denial and wanting to go back or or maintain old structures from the past to the last dying breath. Yeah, one of the things the Zs have explained is they said heart consciousness is rising on the planet. They said, so in tandem with that, you will see these very aggressive spikes of the opposite. And they've been saying this for about five, six years, so it's been interesting for me to watch it play out, especially in the last three, four years, where you know, you're seeing people who have hatred inside them, other groups, other people, and they don't recognize it's hatred. And hatred is just always a wound. You know, some of the world's worst dictators, if you look at their childhood, they just went through hell. And what they've done is they've crossed it over their heart. And 
their way of dealing with their own pain and their own wounds is to act out towards and upon other people with no sense of compassion or remorse. So I think the groups that you're speaking about, there is an inevitability that they would kind of be rising at this time. But I think the most important thing to do is to focus your attention and energy towards standing for something other than that which horrifies you, you know? If you're seeing intolerance toward a certain group in society or, and like you said, denial, what, what I would argue, maybe, is, you know, when you said they're content, oh, they're not content. None of those people are content. Hatred burns. Hatred really burns inside a soul. And so they don't know they're not content, and they don't know that they're in pain because it's all they know. But what I have really loved seeing For example, I recently saw this guy who, he was a member of the Ku Klux Klan, and he now spends his time trying to get people out of the Ku Klux Klan and explain to them why he saw the error of his ways. So there are people like him existing in society who are, again, going back into the group. They're the right person to go into the group and start to lead people out of it. So what him and his team do, is just one example of the awakening around a wounded heart. And so... The one thing I would say about those people, if they seem or say they're content now, boy, oh boy, things are going to get very hot for them in the next few years. Because the way the planet's going and where we're going as people, there is a suffering and a pain that they will be in that will become more acute to them that, yeah, sure, may make them act out a bit more for a while. But that acting out can't happen en masse. It can happen in pocket. But en masse, what's going to happen is a more human way of being and it's interesting I've, I've heard this at other natural disasters and things but I live in Malibu and we had uh, these major fires last year you know people on our street lost their home and you know we, we lost a lot of homes I think we lost about 600 homes in the area and it's not it's not that big an area and I remember how you know when everybody is trying to flee we all just rallied around and helped each other and how different the energy was in the environment for weeks afterwards. And I hear this constantly from people who are involved in any kind of area where there is a tragedy or a a great threat to people. People look out for each other and they come together. And so that energy is the energy that I tend to be seeing more of, even though I'm aware of the other side of it. But that's where I've been putting my focus and attention and being a part of that group to help to continue to build what it is that myself and those others stand for. And the same with you, Tony, are doing this show and even having these conversations that, you know, they're not the easiest conversations to have, but it's also necessary for us to kind of explore the darker edges that we're talking about now so that we can find a way to be with them as they're going on around us. Yes. What would you suggest for those of us who are aware of these things and are working on ourselves, working with these, what you might call shadow energies within us that are being triggered and stirred to the surface by circumstances occurring in the world these days? Well, you know, one of the things I would say is if you catch yourself observing and responding to this stuff a lot, you're going to have to move into action. Because if you don't move into action, it's going to be just very painful and very disempowering. And you're going to feel very powerless to what you're seeing going on in the world. And, you know, it's going to be a bit of a downward 
spiral and ask yourself, why do I need to despair this much? Because clearly some part of me is aligning with the grief and the despair that I'm now feeling and spending a lot of my time focusing on. And what you might get back as an answer or an awareness is, oh, I see there is the part of me that has always kind of felt like the world is effed up. And now I'm getting the confirmation. And so my emotions are rising to the surface to meet that. But I'll go back to what I said. You know, if you're still alive on the planet today, figure out why and figure out what you're here to do and figure out how you can be of service or of use. You know, whenever you go into a despair cycle or a depression cycle or a downward spiral, ask yourself, okay, what can I do to lift myself out of this? Because we can, like I said earlier, we can direct our consciousness. And that doesn't mean bypassing the negative feelings, but it's really important to be very honest with yourself about what you're doing. Like if you're sat there watching the news cycle seven days a week, you're not going to feel great right now because that news cycle is not designed to make you feel great. It's designed to make you feel powerless. It's designed to make you feel like an observer of a society that's falling apart the seams. And there are reasons that those who control the news would want you to feel that way. But what you can instead do is go, oh, okay, what would I like to do? What can I do either in my local community or online or on a national scale? Is there a group that's standing for the very opposite of what is upsetting me? Oh, great, this group are working with refugees at the border. Brilliant, someone's already put together the structure. Let me see if I can go and contribute. Or, you know, is it that you're, you're going to create something? It's like you doing what you do, Tonio, with this podcast, or me doing what I do in the world with the work that we put out into the world. There's a consciousness and a frequency that we are wanting to be part of the conversation with, and, you know, we're taking action. So I think really to kind of recap what I said at the very beginning, where can you take action and change how you're experiencing yourself and the world if how you're experiencing yourself and the world is nothing but depressed, despairing, full of grief? You know, maybe you need to go and get some counseling and figure out where this grief is coming from because there's always an alignment. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan of Chelsea Handler. She's made me laugh since 2011, and she's a bit of a wild character, and I always loved that about her. But she's just gone through a bit of an epiphany herself, and she wrote a book where she said she went to therapy for the first time when Trump got elected because she was so full of rage, and she was so angry at him, and she said, I couldn't believe it. She said when she went to therapy and she started to dig in, she realized she'd never grieved the loss of her brother who had died when she was very young and he was like her protector in the family. And so, you know, what was great, because I remember at the time, and you know, trust me, I was upset about Trump too, but I also know enough about what we focus on energetically to know there's always a deeper story. Like if somebody or something is really grating at us, it's never just about that thing or that person. There is something in us when it's really, really on fire in our bodies. It's more than just the focal point. It's something historic in us or for us that we're having trouble clearing or moving. So this book she most recently wrote, which is called Life Will Be the Death of Me, um, really details her experiences with her therapist. And her humor is always there, but her new awareness was powerful. 
And I thought, well, that's great, because Chelsea is not necessarily the kind of person that you would have assumed would have a consciousness shift. You know, she was very much, uh, for anyone who knows her, I mean, one of the things I always loved about her was she was so, like, so who she was, and unashamedly and unabashedly. And But, yeah, even she has gone through this consciousness shift and has started to unpick why she was so angry at Trump and to realize who she was really angry at in her life, that it was more than just him. It was a catalyst for her to get in touch with some emotions that had sat in her for a very long time. If you're just joining us, I'm speaking with Lee Harris. He's an intuitive medium and the author of Energy Speaks, Messages from Spirit on Living, Loving, and Awakening. And this is the Magical Mystery Tour on WGDR Plainfield and WGDH Hardwick, Goddard College Community Radio. In the book, you say that the Zs say that our biggest job here on Earth is to learn to love ourselves and especially to be able to do that when we feel the least lovable and the least empowered in ourselves. Yes, because if we can do that for ourselves truly deeply, then we can do it for others. And I think often there are those of us who can do it for others before we can do it for ourselves. And then the other way around, too. Less people on the planet are wired this way, but some people are better at loving themselves than they are others until they get to the place where they start to be able to extend that to others, too. Yeah, I don't know about you, but that was one of my <laughs> was one of my big challenges for a long, long time. Yeah, big and, time um, for me. Yeah. Yeah, big time. So one of the questions that comes up is, and I know a lot of people are very skeptical about the notion of working on ourselves, this notion of self-improvement, and there seeming to be a lack of connection between doing that kind of work and the actual benefit that it can have on others and, and the rest of the world. Yeah, I think, I think innately we're scared of ourselves. It's funny, it's a bit like even today, recently someone in our life who's in their 50s had to be slightly talked into going to therapy. Now, in America, therapy is much more normal. But even in Britain, you know, where I grew up and lived until 2012, the notion of therapy is still met with some skepticism and some idea that there's, oh, there's something wrong with you, which is really hilarious because all the people I know who have gone to therapy and have used therapy to become better people, they're great. You know, they're they're the kind of people who can sit at a table when someone talks about something that's emotionally awkward for them and they can hold space for it because they've had space held for them and their emotions. And then the people who are judgmental, skeptical, or afraid of any self-growth work, they tend to be a bit shyer around emotions because they just aren't as versed in it and they're not giving themselves the luxury of it. And I get it. You know, I remember in my early 20s, I went to see a homeopath who was recommended to me and the homeopath asked me lots of questions about myself. And I remember talking about myself for about 20 minutes and then apologizing to the homeopath who I was paying because I said, oh, I feel like I've done all the talking. I was ashamed. And the homeopath went, but that's what I asked you to do. And so even I got to see, wow, you know, there's an issue that I've got there. So I think there is just this cultural skepticism around how much we are allowed to look at ourselves and be ourselves that I think needs to break. 
you often hear people say self-love is selfish. Well, that shows they don't really get self-love. It's like if a, if a mother doesn't look after herself, the baby's going to die. If a mother doesn't know to say no to her friends more in those first few months, or if she doesn't eat, she can't produce milk, the baby's going to die. And so the mother gets better at looking after her body and her time and her energy levels when she has the demands of this baby. So it's no different. But yes, culturally, there is a defensive judgment against looking at oneself, which is always rooted in fear of what you might find in their inherited family judgment that you've taken on. And our family is very influential to us because if you don't have a bad relationship with your family where you've kind of divorced your family or things are going badly and you don't trust them, if you have a kind of moderate relationship with your family to good relationship with your family, for the longest time you'll be very influenced by what the family think or what the family do or don't want you to do because we're tribal in nature and we don't want to be rejected by our tribe. I'm reflecting on how one of the great benefits of therapy is that it, it can help expose and excavate unquestioned beliefs that we carry throughout our lives. For sure. And just giving yourself that space to hear yourself say things and to have that reflected back to you is, is kind of shockingly powerful, especially when you do it. I think the, the, the gift of behind therapy is it's so repetitive. You know, it's like anything that you put the time in with. If you keep doing something week after week, eventually it's going to continue to go to deeper levels in you and become more practiced in you. Yes, and that practice of digging deeper, going deeper within ourselves, doing a kind of self-inquiry, we can do it formally with a therapist, and we can also learn to do that with ourselves and make it a life practice. For sure. I only worked with a therapist myself for about a year, and I did six months weekly. And then I did six months, I think it was probably we would do a session every couple of weeks. And I would honestly say, while having a therapist weekly for 20 years could be a great luxury and a great support in your life, you know, I would, I would check the kind of results you're getting too. I went to a therapist about four years ago, and it was one of the things I hadn't done in my life. You know, I'd done so many different things. And it was great, and it served me for a time, but I went there to specifically work on some new things that were coming up as I was about to move into marriage. And as I was about to move into marriage, you know, I was like, oh, here's some stuff that's coming up, so I'm going to go and have someone hold space. What is good about having a professional do it is it's one thing to rely on your friends, but it is another thing to kind of prioritize it in your life enough that you will schedule time. And, and I know for many people, the other issue is budget. But I think a lot of what's coming out in the world now is there are very affordable ways to get that kind of professional help. There are new services popping up all the time that's much more affordable than when I was younger to get that, that kind of help. And then, of course, there's so much online that's free on YouTube that can, if you're willing to put the time in, you can really get some great tools and aha moments that can help you excavate yourself and go to another level. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I went to a therapist for about a year and a half, and it was tremendously helpful for me. I mean, it, it helped me directly, but it also helped model for me what I could do for myself. Yes, so true. So true. And, and, it, and it really is the, the weekly thing has such an effect, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
And you also talk about another powerful healing technology in the last chapter, which is titled, um, I believe it's titled, The Angel Behind Me. Mm, Yeah, The Angel Behind You. Yes. It's really interesting. You know, that was a channel that happened at an event in Norway, and it wasn't going to be included in the book until the last minute. And I suddenly got this donk on the head, which was like, you have to put that one in. It really talks about how all of us have, you know, whether we experience it as an angel or not, whether we ever get to know the angel is there, all of us have connection to the angelic realm. And this really walks you through a process of connecting with your own angelic help and your own angelic guidance. And it basically walks you through this exercise where you basically feel this, as the channel describes in the book, this enormous angel standing behind you that that kind of is there protecting your spine and is there walking through the world with you. And, you know, it's in both the book and the audible version of the book, which is accompanied by music with all of the exercises so that you can have a really deep experiential kind of go with it. But yeah, that's one of my favorite chapters, actually. I would love for you to talk more about what that angel is, what that means. My sense from just listening to you now is that it's a kind of energy of empowerment that we can tap into. Yeah. I'm trying to remember now what the actual lines in the book were, but there's something in the book, in a message from disease, and it's literally saying that even on your darkest of days, that angel is just inches away from your shoulder. And if you can expand your awareness to understand that, then everything starts to change. And I do think, you know, having had periods of depression myself throughout my 20s and some of my early 30s, you know, depression is a very inward, insular experience, and it tends to make us shut down and pull down and pull away from the outside world. But I've found that the more we can live with an expanded perspective to take in everything in the world and to recognize, you know, that we are, again, this piece of a jigsaw, but we're connected to everything, then it doesn't allow you to be quite so convinced that you're isolated or that you're alone, which is one of the things disease always say. They say you're never alone. They say you might feel lonely. um, You might experience human loneliness, but they say you are never alone. They say the, the, the world is full of information and the room that you are sat in or the tree that you are sat by has so much energy inside it that you've just forgotten to see and feel. And so the angel behind you is really, it's inviting you to live and walk with your connection to the angelic realm every day. And like many of the exercises in the book or the audio book, you know, they're things that you can do over and over again to ingrain it, but like you just said, it's really reminding us that we aren't here alone. There is a power that's supporting us and that beyond universal power, we all have certain energies that are assigned to each of us. And that chapter was really wanting you to get in touch with the angelic realm that has been assigned to you and that walks with you through the world every day. It's very... um, I remember that when I delivered the channel in Norway feeling afterwards, I don't know, something had shifted for me just by contacting that. And I hear that from many people who have either heard the audio version or read the book. It just helps us remember that we 
we have this incredible support around us all of the time. And in the book, you say we have many energies available to us. And you also talk a lot about energy and that life is about mastering energy. Yes. So my belief is that, you know, as a human being, this is certainly how I was trained as a child. Not consciously, but I think all of us get trained this way, and it's certainly in Western culture. Unless um, I was trained to believe in myself as a human and to believe in the human structure as the world. I was not invited to believe in anything bigger than that, which is why I think I turned to creativity, the magical in the world. You know, I, I loved anything that was a little more out there. I, I loved shows like The X-Files. I loved Star Wars because it talked about the Force because something in me knew that that was all the truth. But at that time, these were the limited ways I could find experiences of that. So mastering energy and, and us understanding that we are one with something bigger than ourselves and directly experiencing that, it just changes your life. It makes your life feel richer um, because you are more... It's not that your human ego completely dissolves because, you know, our human ego is useful. It, it kind of helps us move around the world and helps us structure and organize certain things, which is still very relevant for many of us on the planet. But it helps you go beyond it and to feel you are part of a whole. And when you live with that awareness more, you are far more receptive to synchronicity, magical connections, um, connecting with the right people at the right time in seemingly effortless ways. So it opens you up to that side of the world in a very powerful way. But it is the awareness shift that we have. So, for example, it's me being able to walk down the street, having a rough day maybe, and suddenly realize I'm having a rough day and then remember, oh, hang on, I'm bigger than this. Sure, I can stay having a rough day if I want, but I actually also know I can expand my awareness and I can say, universe, please send me some help. Universe, I'm asking for some help today. Mm -hmm. It's like the difference between going through life with the perspective of being an isolated particle in this huge, vast universe and having a kind of perspective that sees the world as much more of an interconnected and interrelated, interdependent wholeness Absolutely. That, that, we're, that we are an integral part of. Absolutely, and I think that's the frequency shift that happens with disease. That seems to be one of the most important things that's shifting nowadays and, and the most important thing that, that I've been learning and it's just getting more and more confirmed all the time. And I'm so enheartened as I'm encountering people of, of the newer generations who are coming into this world much more receptive to receiving that understanding or, or grasping that pretty quickly in their lives. Well, it's funny because it's quite logical if you think about it because there are those of us who, so you said you're 61, I'm 43, so you and I have a more similar experience of how we grew up understanding consciousness, metaphysics. But if you think about it, all of those practitioners, voices, and friends who would talk about consciousness that we had growing up, as that number has grown, 
it's logical that the kids coming in now don't have to learn what we were having to learn. Just like when they're older, whoever's coming underneath them will have benefited from what they were the, shall we say, a pioneering generation around. So I think consciousness is one of the things that we are seeing has been pioneered enough that it's beginning to hit the mainstream consciousness now. And so that means the younger generation coming in don't have to spend a long time on that journey. They can just get it far faster and then get on with it. So that's not to discredit what anyone in prior generations went through because it's, it's all one continuum. And I will say one thing. I heard a lot of people in our community kind of deferring to the kids, like kind of going, oh, it's all going to be okay because the new kids are coming in are amazing and they're going to... I always remember... Something about that didn't feel quite right to me, and I never could quite put my finger on it. I don't know. It was, it was either like these poor kids were being lumped with all the responsibility to save the world, and the Z's said something about it in a channel once that really struck me. They said, don't forget they're still young, and they need you. And if you're a 75-year-old, you have 75 years of wisdom, and you have life experience that you can help them with. So if you have an 18-year-old revolutionary in your midst that you are so excited about what they're going to do on the planet, don't just sit back and watch them. Help them. Talk to them. See what they might need from you. Give to them. And I thought that was really important because I think sometimes we can separate ourselves from the younger generations because they seem different. But they also came through the same line we came through. And I just really enjoyed the Z's addressing that those in the older generations right now are wisdom keepers. And we need as much wisdom as we can absorb at this time, all of us. So it made sense to me because I'd always loved older people. Like when I was a kid, I always loved being around anybody who was older. I wasn't so interested in like people my own age. And so I've always benefited from older, wiser friends. And I kind of took that to heart from that message. And, and it was a reminder to me, too, because, you know, I'm 43. But still, you know, when I meet 18-year-olds, I know to many of them I seem ancient, even though it doesn't seem that far away that, for me that I was them. So it was also a good reminder to me to see, is there anything I need to offer? Or is there any help they need? Or to remind me that even though they seem very robust and very confident compared to how I was, they're still young. They're still encountering this crazy world. And yeah, maybe there's something they need that I can offer. Mm -hmm. Perhaps the last thing we could get into is getting back to this crazy world we're living in. There's so many people who are talking about climate change and this impending crisis that's accelerating and getting worse and worse and painting it as something that we're rapidly approaching the point of no return. I'm curious what you think and what the Z's may have said about the realm of possibilities that are perhaps beyond what we can conceive of in terms of addressing perhaps the inevitability that our current science is making climate change out to be? Yeah, there are two key things they've said in that area for me that I feel the truth of, and it's stuff they've been saying for about a decade, and, and I've witnessed it in each year kind of um, still remain aligned for me. They've said there is innovation coming, 
that you still don't fully understand or have seen. So they said sometimes when these stories are being reported, what they are reporting is, it's not even that they're reporting worst-case scenarios. What they're reporting is the problem. They're not really reporting solutions. And, of course, a lot of it is speculative because one person will report on one area of environmental change without taking into the holistic whole because they said everything is a domino effect on everything else. So they have said that there will be innovation and adaptation at higher levels than we currently understand or expect. But they have also said that the Earth speaking to us is what's going to cause the changes, and that without the Earth speaking to us about the changes that are required, we are not going to be able to create the transformation that is needed. The other piece I will add They've said things are going far better than they could have been, meaning, you know, every period we go through in history has multiple timelines, multiple possibilities. And they say, you are in a far brighter place than you could have been at this time in history were the consciousness not raising. So I'm with you. I mean, I, as a human being, I, I watch it. I kind of watch it play out. I see articles. I, you know, check out various things, but I never let one article be the defining story because I think you have to gather the information. You have to watch it play out year by year. You have to, you have to see it in real time. So that's some of what they've said and that's some of where I'm at with it. I think there are many inevitabilities that we are already in and walking into. On a personal level, my own experience so far having come up against a couple of those things recently is that life finds a way. And so I personally don't have too much attachment for my own personal life because I know that the human lifespan is relatively short. And then we go back to the soul plane. But I really want to see more consciousness on the planet, not necessarily just because of the human life here, but because of all life here. And the one thing I'm pretty confident of is that the Earth is not going to let us take her down. The Earth is far more powerful than we are. And so if the balance gets off to the degree that it's got off, the Earth is going to start speaking and we're going to pay attention. So like everybody else, I'm watching the movie play out every day and I'm part of it too. So, yeah. Hmm. Yes. And... To me, it seems like there's great importance in being open to receiving new possibilities, new ideas, new new innovation, new whatever from wherever it, it might come from, and to acknowledge that we are still very young on this planet and know very little about what is and what's possible. Mm-hmm. For sure. So, yeah, it's going to be a very interesting few decades, but disease have always maintained Um, I remember way back in like 2010 getting a little triggered because there were lots of prophecies about 2011 and dates given and on this day a comet's going to hit the earth and on this day California's going to sink into the ocean and on this day, you know, and I would have people in my life who I respected coming to me with this information going, oh my God, have you heard about this? Like they were really triggered and so I would then get triggered because you think, oh my God, maybe they're right. I lived through so many of those that I got to the point where I was like, okay, If any other article tries to tell me how life is or what day it's going down on, I now divorce myself from that stuff. 
because an article or a story or a theory is exactly that. And the experience of real life, like life will find you. And, you know, whether you're driving in your car with falling ash on your car, like I was a year ago with two cats in the back who were crying their eyes out and me at the front just figuring out moment by moment with no cell phone service and trusting my instinct that I was driving the right way, you know, you, you figure it out. And I think these are unprecedented times, but we will be able to figure out what we need every step of the way is my ultimate truth. And it's a truth I've directly experienced. So that's kind of where I live from now. And I really do see so many good seeds and structures of innovation and people who really care about the planet and where we're going. But that gives me a lot of hope for the future. And I think it's really important to be able to lean into hope because hope is a creative energy and it lets us create. It's, it gives us faith to create. And so while we're alive, you know, I believe that's what we're here to do, to create and be of purpose on this planet as much as we can. That's what, to me, life is really about. Well, that's a wonderful place to end. Thank you so much. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Tonio. Really lovely to meet you, and thank you for having me on the show, and take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was Lee Harris. He's an intuitive medium and the author of Energy Speaks, Messages from Spirit on Living, Loving, and Awakening, based on his channelings of a group he calls the Zs.
trouble in your brain Anger you retain, pressure rocks you like a hurricane Is it time for you to jump into the next train? Change of hand, make a stand, I can see your heart change Wake up, no more nap, your turn is coming up You feel lazy, but stop the fantasies and bubble dust If you need to hear, go for it I will teach you how to feel the things so close to you connected all Touch it all! 